A few months ago, a church member texted me to let me know that they were really enjoying watching Ted Lasso after I had recommended it. Him and his wife had watched uh, the whole of season one. They just binged it through and they were raving about it. They were recommending it to their friends, although they did say they felt a little bit uncomfortable about some of the foul language in that show. And then he said to me in this text message, a couple of days later, they were talking, him and his wife, about something totally unrelated to Ted Lasso. And all of a sudden, she dropped dropped an F-bomb, and she never swears. And she caught herself right in the moment. She went, oh no, that's Ted Lasso, that is. Apparently, I'm the cause of turning a member of our church into a potty mouth. You know, it's amazing how the things in which we are engaged influence our life and our behavior. As Christians, the core of our life is to be distinct from the world, to behave with the character of Jesus. And yet when we are immersed in the world, it it seems to have an adverse effect on our ability to be Christ-like. Yet we're still called to be in the world and not to withdraw from it. So how then can we remain faithful to our call to Christ in the midst of a world whose influences are counter to that? And how can we do that over a period of many years? How can we stay committed in the long haul? My name's Ellis. I'm the pastor of Creative Ministries here at Chapel Hill, and I'm really glad that you're joining us today. We're going to take the next 25 minutes, and I'm going to share a message from the Bible, specifically from the Old Testament book of Joshua. And I hope and pray that this message will give you the tools to enable you to remain committed to Jesus in the long haul. We've been in the book of Joshua for 10 weeks now. We're nearing the end of that book. Next week will be our last week in Joshua. And the final two chapters of the book occur at the very end of Joshua's life. He's led Israel into the promised land. He's he's fought battles. He's taken the inheritance that the Lord has promised to his people. And then as he's nearing the end of his life, he summons together all the people of Israel on two separate occasions to give them his parting words. And we're going to look at the first one of those occasions this week and the second one next week. So in this, the first sermon that Joshua preaches at the end of his life, we hear him address the question that I just asked. How can we remain committed to God in the long haul? You know, it's one thing to be committed in the midst of the the battle that lasts just a few years, but what about the many, many years of peace that the people of Israel were going to face in the future, especially when the nations that were surrounding them were working so hard to distract them from remaining committed to God. And I believe that Joshua's words apply not only to the people of Israel living 3,200 years ago, but they also apply to us today. They answer for us the question, how can we remain committed to Jesus in the long haul when all around us is attempting to dissuade us from doing so? And Joshua lays out three things that I believe help us to stay committed in the long haul. And the first of those is to get to know God's works. Joshua begins this sermon by reciting all the works that the the Lord has done for Israel in recent times. He begins by reminding them of the many ways in which God has demonstrated his faithfulness to them in the preceding years, and that God will be faithful to what is yet to come in the future. So this is Joshua's sermon, chapter 23. I'm starting at the end of verse 2. Joshua says, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. 
for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I was at the local 24-hour prayer event that was put on by a number of churches, and I got to spend the evening praying alongside a man who's a retired pastor. And as part of the evening, we were being led in worship by our very own Paul Ward, who was back there playing the bass today. And one of the songs he led us, and we sing it all the time here, is called Goodness of God. And as I was standing and singing alongside this retired pastor, I couldn't help but think about how powerful the words of the chorus were when they were coming out of his mouth. He was singing along with me these words, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. And I just thought how much more powerful it was to be hearing these words out of the mouth of a man who was in his 80s than it was for them to be coming out of my mouth, a man who's in his 30s. This man knew God's works in a way that I didn't because he had seen God's faithfulness through many, many more years than I had done. And the same is true of Joshua. He starts his message by saying, I am now old and well advanced in years. And then he goes on to recite the faithful deeds of God in his lifetime, that God had brought Israel out of slavery and into the promised land, that God had fought on their behalf, driving out the inhabitants of the land and giving it to them. And then he looks forward to the future, And he says, those parts of the land that you've still not yet taken possession of, I believe that you can rest assured that God will drive out those inhabitants too, and the Lord will deliver on his promise. And the reality is that the Lord not only did that for Joshua and for Israel, but he's done that for us too. The Lord has delivered us from slavery, slavery to sin, in and through the person and work of Jesus. And the Lord has brought us into the promised land of our inheritance. We spoke about that two weeks ago. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the giver of new life. And the Lord promises to continue to be at work in our lives, driving out the remnants of our old self by the power of his spirit at work within us. Our God has been, our God is, and our God will be faithful to us just as he was to Joshua and Israel. And those of you who are more advanced in years, as Joshua describes himself, you know the faithfulness of God better than us whippersnappers. And as a result, I want to encourage you to share that story of God's faithfulness with the next generation. We need to hear how God brought you through financial crisis, through parenting troubles, through grief and loss, through sickness and disease. You have a story to tell of God's faithfulness. And us younger generations, we need to hear it. And for those of you who are in a younger generation, like me, I'd encourage you to develop relationships with those who are more advanced in years. Get to know God's works by getting to know God's people. One of the greatest gifts of a church like Chapel Hill is that we are multi-generational. We are not just 
young people all getting together or old people all getting together, but we're everyone throughout the generations coming together in one body. And being in a life group is perhaps the place where I think this is most visible. My life group has men from every single decade, from the 20s up to their 80s. And I can tell you there is nothing like hearing 60-somethings, 70-somethings, and 80-somethings encourage me with the faithfulness of God to them through their hard times, to give me the, the hope and the strength to keep going through my hard times. And so if you aren't in a life group, if you aren't experiencing this multi-generational nature of the church, I'd encourage you, go speak to Pastor Rachel at the Wood Wall after the service. She's the pastor of life group. She'd love to connect you into a life group so that you can develop relationships with other generations of believers so that those who are more advanced in years can tell of God's faithfulness to them and those of us who are mere whippersnappers can be emboldened and encouraged by the faithfulness of God to those who have gone before us. Get to know God's works. So if we want to remain committed in the long haul, that's the first thing. We must get to know God's works. The second thing Joshua says, if we want to remain committed in the long haul, is to get in the word. We must allow the word of God to influence and shape our character, and our behavior. This is what he says in the next verse, verse six. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left. I recently read an article that said that American kids who are watching the uh, British kids TV show Peppa Pig have begun speaking in a British accent. The Pepper effect, as some have been calling it, has had a major impact on U.S. households since the start of the lockdown, as more parents have allowed their younger children to have more screen time. Now, my own children have actually had the opposite problem in the last few years. They used to have British accents, but they have now, since attending school, begun to develop American accents. But I think I finally found the solution to reverse this awful trend. Binge watch Peppa Pig. You know, the things in which we're engaged have a tremendous influence on our behavior, for good or for bad. And if we choose to engage in the Bible, it will impact our behavior in a positive way. In fact, we talked about this in the very first sermon from the book of Joshua, which, by the way, you can go back and listen to that in our app. Make sure you've all downloaded it. In that first sermon... The Lord spoke to Joshua and he encouraged him to get into the word. And that was at the very beginning of his leadership. And here we are at the very end of Joshua's leadership and Joshua's turning around and he's encouraging all the people of God to get into the word. And when we preached on it back then, we talked about how if you seek to read and study and understand the word of God, it will impact your life for the better. For many of us, this is a habit we've developed over the course of many years. But, but for others, I recognize this might be new to you. And so if you have a desire to remain committed to Jesus in the long haul, if you want to prosper and have success, those are literally the words that Joshua chapter 1 uses. If you want that in your life, I would encourage you to begin a daily habit of reading the Bible. 
You can download the Bible app and start a reading plan. You could download the Bible in one year app and read the Bible in one year. Or you could just pick up the old-fashioned book and start reading it, one chapter a day, maybe start in the New Testament. If you want to stay committed to Jesus in the long haul, a daily habit of engaging with the Bible is perhaps the most crucial practice that you can cultivate. So Joshua says, if you want to stay committed to God in the long haul, you've got to get to know God's works. Second, you've got to get in the word. And third, you've got to get away from the world. Now, this is the one of the three points that I'm most tentative to preach because it feels like it, it runs counter to my evangelistic heart. I'm, I'm so desperate to see people to come to know Jesus, and I know the only way that's going to happen is if we, the church, get out in the world and we share the love and good news about who Jesus is with the world. And, and yet, at the same time, although we're, although we're called to be in the world, we're also called to be separate from the world. Now, for the people of Israel, they were taking possession of a land which had been occupied by other people. And and some of those people were going to carry on living there. And these people had practiced awful, awful things, including, but not limited to, child sacrifice. And Joshua is, is warning his people, you can't be influenced by their practices. You have to remain separate from them. Not that he doesn't want them to bear testimony about God to these nations, but just that they they can't allow themselves to be influenced by the practices of the nations surrounding them. This is what Joshua says, verse 7 and 8. You may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. Joshua encourages the people, don't have mixers with the local Canaanites, or otherwise their beliefs and their practices, they're going to become more palatable and accessible to you. Instead, get away from the world and cling, Joshua says, to the Lord. Today, we're influenced by our culture in which we live in so many ways. Many of them, I don't think we even realize And it's one of the things that becomes readily apparent when you travel to a different culture. What might be normal in your culture becomes completely irrational in a different culture and vice versa. And in the last couple of years, this this has become apparent by how different nations have dealt with the same crisis we've all been facing, the pandemic. Take Australia, for example, where they have imposed incredibly heinous restrictions. And what have the people done? They just complied. I met an international airline pilot who lives in Gig Harbor and he travels frequently to Australia. And he was saying to me, I cannot believe how these people in Australia can put up with their government enforcing these restrictions upon them. It's totally crazy. And it does seem crazy to us. But why isn't it crazy to the Australians? Why do they put up with it? I heard an Australian actually talking about this recently. He, he had moved in the middle of the pandemic from Atlanta, Georgia, to Australia. So he was an Australian. He'd lived in America for a number of years. And he'd gone back to Australia. And he explained it this way. I thought this was really insightful. He said that for Australians, they have a really high value of community responsibility. And as a result, they're willing to sacrifice their personal freedoms. However, he said that Americans, they have a really high value of personal freedom. And as a result, they're willing to sacrifice community responsibility to maintain that freedom. And he didn't say one's right and one's wrong. He just said 
They're different cultures, they value different things, and it influences their behavior in different ways. And I'm not here today saying that one way is right and one way is wrong. I'm just pointing this out to help us see that we are influenced by our cultures, perhaps even in ways that we don't realize until we see how another culture reacts to the same situation. We're all influenced by our culture, every single one of us, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And so I do wonder today, what might some of those influences be for you? And are any of those influences contrary to the call of Christ on our lives? Or maybe I might say, are any of those influences affecting our ability to follow Christ wholeheartedly? Are we more committed to our culture than we are to our Christ? I think these are some questions that are worthy of some introspection and self-examination. And I want to give you an example of where I've done that In my life, one area where I'm seeing myself being influenced by culture and it compromising my ability to follow Jesus, and that is in the area of entertainment. We are saturated as a culture with a desire to be entertained. In fact, on weekends, my my kids will frequently come up to me and say, Dada, I'm bored. I say, good. If you never learn to be bored, you'd never learn to be creative. And yet, when I look at my own life, I can't stand more than even a few seconds of boredom. I'm in the line at the grocery store, and what do I do? I pull out my phone, I start checking an app or something. Why? Because I can't bear to be with my thoughts for more than a few seconds. I get in the car to drive to work, and what do I do? I put on music or a podcast, because God forbid I should have silence for my eight-minute drive to work. In the evenings, as soon as the kids go to bed, what do I do? Grab the remote, turn on the TV, because I don't want to get bored. And some of you might say, well, Ellis, there's nothing wrong with that. You're like, it's not a sin. Well, no, it isn't. And taken one instance at a time, there really isn't anything wrong with it at all. But if this is how I live every day, day in, day out, and I repeat this again and again and again, it shapes and forms me into a person who expects entertainment every moment of my life. And it begins to affect other areas of my life. For example, when I get in a conversation with someone, and we've all met people like this, people who like to tell long, winded, boring stories. You know know that person, right? I want out of that conversation because I'm not being entertained. And as a result, what do I do? I devalue that person, and I devalue their experience. Or when I go to read my Bible, and I find that my daily reading happens to be in the book of Leviticus... What do I want to do? I want to rush through it because it's not entertaining. It doesn't captivate me. Or when I go and visit a church, what, what am I more concerned about? Does the music and the lights and the visuals and the sermon entertain me? When really, I should be concerned about bringing my own sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Do you see this? I've been so influenced by our entertainment culture in a very subtle yet powerful way that, that I can't fully love others and love God. I can't keep the greatest commandment because I'm so desperate to be entertained. I can't be the person God desperately longs for me to be because I'm desperately longing to be entertained. I've been so influenced by our entertainment culture that I'm failing in my relationship with God. 
And it's not just entertainment that does this. That's just an example. There are a myriad other ways where our culture influences us and shapes us and forms us. A few weeks ago, we talked about our materialistic culture and how it causes us to cover and just buy more stuff. I've spoken in the past about social media and how it drives us to want to live a more exciting life than other people. And there are many, many other ways in which we're influenced and shaped by our culture. The news, politics, sport, body image, sex, big business, science, to name just a few. So what's the cure to this malady? How do we get away from the world when it is so pervasive? And when we are still called into the world to bear witness to Christ. Well, there's one spiritual practice, I think, which is incredibly powerful in enabling God to do a work of transformation in us. And that practice is fasting. Now, when you hear fasting, you probably think about giving up food, maybe for Lent. And that's true. Very often, that is what fasting is. But fasting can be much more than that. Fasting is when we simply abstain from something for a period of time in order to grow closer to God. We replace one thing that we do with a practice that draws us closer to God. We might fast from our our TV or our phone or social media or the news or going to the bar or, or pretty much anything that we think might be distracting us from our relationship to God. And for a season, we we give that up and we replace it instead with seeking God, clinging to the Lord, as Joshua says in the passage that we're reading today. We replace checking our phone with prayer. We, We replace watching the TV with reading the Bible. And here's what's amazing about fasting. When we do this practice, God changes our desires. Within us, we we get realigned. We want different things as a result. God helps us to see that the desires we have to be entertained or, or to be informed or to live an exciting life or to get an emotional high, really, they're not being fulfilled by the things of this world. Instead, what's been happening to us is we've been getting little hits of dopamine that are just enough to convince us that those things are really working, when in fact, they're pulling us further and further and further away from what we really want and desire. Two years ago, I chose to fast from social media. I realized how pervasive an influence it was having on my life. I, I looked at that screen time app on my phone and I found out how many hours a day on average I was checking social media and I'm not prepared to confess that to you. I realized how I was constantly comparing myself to others. I realized how worked up I would get about the inflammatory posts of my friends and so I decided to fast. I stepped back from social media totally. I I deleted all the apps off my phone and I chose not to engage. I didn't know how long I was going to do it for, but I knew it was going to be months rather than days. And I tell you, it was really hard for about a week. I kept finding myself pulling out my phone and I'd swipe and I'd go to launch the app where it used to be and it wasn't there. It was a weird experience. And for about a week, I had this kind of like weird sensation of, I don't like, what do I do? And I found I had all these hours in my day that I didn't have before. And I, what do I do with them? I began to, over time, realize that in the moments where, where previously I, I might have been scrolling, I was actually connecting with people in real life, with my family, with the people I was around. That I, in other moments, I was actually praying and talking to God. I actually began to read books. Do you know, books are amazing. 
I also began to realize how much less anxious I was. I began to notice how I wasn't constantly comparing myself to others, how I wasn't constantly in turmoil about what someone had posted. And after fasting for a few months, I made the decision to come back. But I came back with this new perspective. You see, I no longer needed social media to give me that dopamine hit that I used to need it for. I could use social media instead of social media using me. Fasting changed my desires. Now, God did that desire change. I did the fasting. He did the desire change. And I realized through that, that I can't be fulfilled by what the world is offering. Only Jesus can fulfill those desires that I have. So, if you're willing, as we close, I wonder if we could spend a moment in reflection. And just take time to ask the Lord to reveal to you Where are you being influenced by the world around you? I've given you some examples, but I'm sure there are many different ways that it'll be different for you than it is for me. And ask the Lord, where am I being shaped and formed by our culture in a way that's preventing me from fully following Jesus? And and then begin to ask the Lord, is there something I could fast from? Is there something I could abstain from for a period of time so that you can work in me to realign my desires? God wants so much more for you. And this world cannot provide what you really want. Would you pray with me? So Lord, we come to you and we confess we've been influenced by our culture, knowingly and unknowingly, in ways that have prevented us from fully following your call on our life. And we come to you and, and Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit, would you highlight areas in our life where that has been taking place? Would you help us to see things that we wouldn't ordinarily see, that by the power of your Spirit within us, that you would give us the eyes to see our lives the way you see our lives? And Lord, we we thank you that even though we've fallen short, that Christ has made up the difference that Jesus took upon himself the consequences for our sin, for our lack of wholeheartedness, and that we are forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you set us free from that? And Lord, we thank you for the reality of the resurrection. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And we ask for your spirit to empower us, Lord. As we ask you to reveal to us those areas where we, we've compromised the call to Christ, pray that you might also reveal to us, is there anything you might be calling us to fast from so that we can create space in our lives so that you can realign our desires? so that they may be more oriented to you. Church, maybe just take a moment now in quiet reflection. Just ask the Lord, is there there anything you're asking me to give up, to fast from?
And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to step out. And as we fail, I pray that you'd pick us back up again, that we would remember that the goal is not to succeed in fasting, but the goal is for you to change our desires. The goal is for us to find a way to remain committed to Jesus in the long haul. But Lord, that you would use these practices and that you would use them so that we may not be conformed to the world, but we may be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And set in our hearts a desire for eternity, a day when one day we will be free from all that hinders and holds us back, when we may behold your glory in all its fullness, when we may be totally uninhibited in our worship and praise of you, when our desires would be fully aligned with yours, and when we could wholeheartedly love you and love others. We long for that day. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. See you.